are we? Good, good, good. You know, I cried during the first gathering at King of My Heart, and I did it again in this one. What the heck? That is such a good song. Thank you. Um, it is good to be with here, you all, this morning. Uh, I, uh, man, the weather warmed up outside, and with it, my spiritual maturity went up seven straight notches, all right? And so, praise God for warmer weather, amen? All right, some of y'all are like, no, nah, I like the cold, all right? But look, we're in Texas, that's why we're here. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, uh, in a moment, the ushers are going to come forward with uh, some Bibles. And if you need one, you can just uh, raise your hand, and they would love to give you one. And if you do not own the Word, man, that's our gift to you. We want you to have the Scriptures to be able to use them during the week. And so uh, please feel free to take and keep that. Um, as you go home today. You can also follow along on your smartphone. Uh, if you have the Version app underneath the events section, type in the Well Austin, you can follow along that way. Uh, you can also take this link and put it right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along that way as well. Uh, we say this every week because we mean it. Uh, we want your eyes on the Word. We want you to see uh, what the Word of God has to say. I know so often in my own life uh, that even as I'm sitting and listening to the Word of God preach, the Word of God begins to open up to me in ways that the preacher isn't even communicating about, but God begins to communicate directly to me, and we really believe that God wants to talk to us, y'all. Like, God wants to literally communicate to us, and he does that most clearly and most consistently in his word, and so that's why we want to be a people of the word, to center our hearts around the word, to have our eyes in the word, even as we're uh, walking through the sermon. So, um, with that, let's dive right in. This is one of my favorite passages, so if we're not careful, I'm going to preach long, okay? So, let's just jump right in. Uh, Luke chapter 17. And we're going to pick it up uh, in verse 11. We're in the middle of our miracle series, looking at Luke's miracles. And here's another one. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, so Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Okay, now several things right off the gun here. First of all, uh, leprosy in that culture was any sort of infectious skin disease. All right, say that with me, infectious skin disease. Great way to start off church this morning, right? Amen, sounds nice and lovely. So this is what we're talking about, all right? I'm glad you already probably ate breakfast. I don't want you to think about the sermon too much during lunch, all right? But leprosy is a gross condition of the skin, okay? And so uh, when there was no cure for lepers, what they would actually do is that they would uh, remove them from the city, remove them from the camp, and they would set out outside the camp. And the reason why is because if it's infectious, that means if you're too close to them, then you get it. And so because there was no cure, they would set them outside the city, outside the camp, and they would often be found dwelling with each other because they couldn't be around other people. They had this disease, so they would kind of find community with each other. And so hence is why all these lepers are here together. You also see that there in verse 12, they are calling out to Jesus from a distance, it says, right? They're, they're standing at a distance. Why? Well, once again, they're leprous. They cannot be close to people. It was uh, culturally conditioned and even by the law mandated that they would stand at a distance and call out to Jesus. They cannot come close. And so these men, though, they recognize that Jesus may indeed be somebody who can possibly heal them of this disease. And so they call out, they're, they're asking for his healing. They're saying, hey, Jesus, Jesus, come heal us. And then Jesus says, well, hey, go show yourself to the priest, 
right? Go and, and show yourself to the priest. And, and what would happen is, is that in Leviticus 13 and 14, if you were healed of leprosy, you would go and you would show yourself to the priest and the priest would mark you as healed. The interesting thing in this is that they were not healed yet. And yet Jesus tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. Why? Because Jesus already knows that he is going to heal them and is even in a possible way kind of testing their, their faith. Do they believe? Will they go out and receive healing? And so we see this often. You know, I'm really glad we do not live in the Old Testament times because if I was a priest, which is kind of what I would be in the Old Testament, I would not be checking out your skin conditions, all right? And so yet, they're going and they're saying, hey, by the time you get there, the priest is going to see you and you will have already been healed. So Jesus kind of believes that, uh, man, he has the power to heal here. So as they're in the process of going, sure enough, it says that they are cleansed. But if you're a fan of literature, Okay, or if you're into storytelling or movies or, or anything like that, you'll realize that so far in this story, it is moving along at a blazingly fast pace. Right? Like, if you think about all the other miracles that we've studied so far, there are all these other details that are in the story. How many people there were, what town they were in, the, the disciples or the crowd, or, you know, uh, what the people were thinking in their hearts, or the Pharisees are here. But literally, we're two verses in, and all these dudes are already healed. Right? And so it'd be like if you were watching a movie or something, you know, it'd be like, this is John. John got his little girl taken from him. Then he found her. Rolling credits, all right? And it's like, that's the end of the movie. Like, that would be really, really fast, okay? And so this is what's happening. This is this fast-paced movement. Why? Well, because like most miracles, the story isn't actually about the healing or the miracles at all, but rather there's a deeper truth into the story as a whole. And in fact, what happens is, is from this point on, the text kind of violently slows down, right? Like us on I-35, right? All of a sudden it kind of hits their brakes and all of a sudden these details start flooding in and it begins to create this, this beautiful story in a lot of ways. And so, so far there's all this pace, all this pace. We don't know the lepers' names or where they're from or what what they're thinking or why Jesus is even here in the first place. And then all of a sudden it's going to slow down for us. Let's pick it up. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. So this man comes running back to Jesus once he realized he was here. Now, there's a ton of things in the text. Let's have a little bit of fun with it. First of all, notice that the leper is not at the feet of Jesus, okay? In verse 12, he's calling out from a distance, right? But now all of a sudden, he's close to Jesus. He's at Jesus's feet. He's literally touching him because remember, they were conditioned. They were mandated to be out at a distance. And now all of a sudden, this leper, he comes in close, right? Side point, I wonder how many of us have been conditioned or we may even feel as mandated by our culture or by what we perceive the word of God to say to feel like we cannot come close and come to the feet of Jesus. I wonder how many of us feel like our sin is too weighty or too heavy and so we kind of stand off at a distance at God or maybe we're just not used to coming to God. We don't know how to actually come into his presence and experience his goodness and so we kind of call out to him at a distance. We don't feel close. We feel like we 
have to be separated. And I want you to know, friends, that if you feel like that, that is not something that has been placed upon you by God himself. God always invites us close to him. That is you perceiving something that just is not true. We know this to be the case because in Luke chapter 7, Jesus already cleansed the leper by touching this man which was actually against what they would have considered culturally acceptable at the time. And yet Jesus wants this closeness, wants this intimacy. And so if you feel like there is an inability for you to get close to God, that's just your own feeling. Okay, the scriptures are clear. God wants you close and he invites you to come close and he allows for that to happen. And so now this leper who probably hasn't touched anyone for years and years and years, right? Maybe the other lepers, but probably not even them because they may have had different diseases. All of a sudden now, after not touching anybody for such a long period of time, he's touching God. (laughs) Like, yo, that is beautiful, right? After not having any physical interaction, the first person that he has physical interaction with is God himself, Jesus in the flesh, the word incarnate. And so all of a sudden we see all this redemption beginning to take place. Uh, Secondly, we see that he was a Samaritan, right? Now the rest of the text actually insinuates that the other nine were likely Jews. And if not all nine, at least some of them were assuredly Jews. And so this man is not only a leper and therefore cast out from society, but he's also a Samaritan and therefore cast out by society. So he is doubly not liked. He's the reject of rejects in some ways, right? Which once again, maybe you feel cast out in a way, maybe even because of your past, even by a church, I would say, I mean, that is a feeling that does not need to be had. God invites you close, right? These barriers that we put up between us and God need not exist because Jesus smashes them all down for us. And so we see the leper coming close and we see God graciously calling him. And in light of this, Jesus asks a set of questions. Now, if you remember the sermon from a couple of weeks ago, you know that when Jesus is asking questions, he ain't asking questions, right? He knows the answer to them already. And so he's not like, one, Okay, there were at least six or seven of y'all, right? Like, that's not what Jesus is doing, okay? And so what's happening here? Well, the questions are uh, uh, critical in a way of the other nine. If you look at the questions, in fact, he says, weren't there 10 of y'all? Answer, yes, (laughs) right? Where are the other nine? Answer, they ain't here, (laughs) right? I don't know where they are, but, and so Jesus then says, no one else thought it was cool to come worship God, though? Right, That's, that's a little bit hood Jesus, right? Where they at, though? That's what he said, okay? And so all of a sudden, right, we see Jesus in this sly comment, actually, though, actually once again refer to himself as God. In fact, it's interesting. In every miracle that we looked at so far, Jesus has called himself God. I don't know the answer to this. It'd be fun to look at. But I wonder if every single miracle that Jesus performs, he also alludes to himself as God within that miracle. Because the miracle is supposed to be pointing not just to the miracle itself, but to the fact that God can heal us, that God calls us. And Jesus, once again, highlights him being God. So verse 15, it says that the guy is coming all the way back and he's praising God with a loud voice. And then in verse 16, we see that he's giving thanks or praise to who? Jesus, right? And then in verse 18, Jesus turns around and he says that in thanking him or in falling at his feet, he is worshiping who? God. 
Now, Jesus knows the commandments very, very clearly that you were to have no other idols before God. And so if this man is worshiping at the feet of Jesus and Jesus is not God, he just committed the ultimate blasphemy here because he made himself an idol, an image of God, though he was not God. But Jesus knows and we can know that Jesus is indeed the exact representation of God. He is not an idol. He's the very image of God because he is God himself. And so Jesus, once again, refers to himself as being God. Jesus then at the end stresses, once again, that he was a foreigner. In the Greek, that word is emphatic, meant to put a lot of emphasis on that very word, foreigner. And that's not a diss to him as a Samaritan as much as it is a knock on the other nine saying, hey, these other ones, like, they should have known. They should have known about who this was and what was happening amongst him, but they didn't. And so this foreigner was no one else found to worship God except this foreigner, the one who probably shouldn't have got it at all. And isn't that kind of funny and cool about our God is that so often the ones who are supposed to get it kind of miss it, but the ones who are supposed to not really get it at all, they actually see very clearly. I know in my own life, not growing up around any Christian background or influence for the most part, minus one person in my family, like all of a sudden God drew me. And out of all people and out of all the flagrant things I was doing against God, yet he drew me anyway. So often he draws those who we least expect. And we see that here in this story as well. Read the last verse, verse 19. And he, Jesus, said to him, the leper, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So once again, we see Jesus not just heals this man, but he saves his soul. We know this because he's physically already been healed. So Jesus doesn't need to repeat something that's already happened. He's actually stating a deeper condition that this man was not just healed physically, but spiritually. In fact, if you look at verse 14, the word there is cleansed of the, other, of the 10. But in this one, the word there is well, the Greek word sozo, which is a, a more encompassing wholeness that he was cleansed not just physically, but he was actually cleansed spiritually. And so this foreign-born Samaritan leper actually got it, and it kind of pushed him to Jesus. So what does the story then mean for us, right? Because if you remember in the Gospel of John, it says that uh, all of the miracles that are in the scriptures were not in the scriptures just to point to the miracle itself, but rather they were put there so that they may teach us something that we may even, upon understanding that, receive the same sort of power that the people that experienced these miracles received. That the, the miracles are in there to teach us in a way. And so what is this trying to teach us then? Well, I think that the question we have to ask ourselves and the, the thing I want us to think about today is, man, which of the lepers are we? Okay, which leper are we? Right, because there are really only three characters in this story, right? And I don't think anyone in here is bold enough to say that uh, they're the Jesus figure in the story, right? Anyone, like, what's the story tell us? I'm kind of like Jesus. Anyone feeling that way? All right. If they raise their hand, just scoot over just a little bit because something might happen, okay? So, no, we know we're not the Jesus figure, right? Now, I will say this as a aside, that as a collective body, I do hope that we are like Christ for people around us. What I mean by that is that I hope that as a church, we are a people who help those who feel like they need to be distant from God, let them know that that's not true, that they can come close to God. I hope that as people feel like they need to stand at a distance, that we can actually invite them in and say, no, 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 come on in. You can worship at the very feet of Jesus. 
I hope that we are a hospitable group, that we are a, a, a welcoming group, that we are even a healing group, that as people interact with, with us and, and as we interact with God, that we would all experience God together. And so as a church, I do hope that we are like the Jesus figure. I do hope that we are a place that feels warm and welcome and loving and where people who have even hostility against God can come and wrestle and find grace at the feet of Jesus, right? But we know, okay, as individuals and even if we're honest, as a church at times, we're more like the lepers, right? There's something wrong with us. There's a, a sickness in our heart in a sort of way. And so we are in deep need of Jesus. And so the question then is, which of the lepers are we like? Are we like the nine lepers who kind of went on about their lives, or are we like the one? Because here's the deal. All 10 of these guys wanted to be healed, right? All 10 of them wanted to experience healing, but only one of them was willing to come back and worship at the feet of Jesus in the process, all of us in here, right, we want physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological, mental healing. We want to be whole. We want to be brought back together in the things that we know are broken. But are we willing to come at the feet of Jesus in the process to receive that, right? Or are we like the nine who kind of run off and just go on about life even though God is at work amongst us? I know in my life, I'm so frequently like the nine, right? Like I can literally imagine they're kind of walking, you know, one of them's like, man, what, what if we actually get healed? You know, there's always a doubter in the group. The doubter's like, man, we ain't about to get healed today. Like, this man just didn't want us around him anymore, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at your friend and you're like, oh my gosh, we're healed, right? Dilly dilly. And they go running off, okay? And I can picture it, right? Like, this is what happens. But isn't this true for us that so often God is interacting in our lives and we can run off in excitement and actually miss what was happening behind there? See, isn't Jesus interacting with our lives in so many different ways, friends? Isn't he interacting with your life? Aren't there people that he's placed around you that know Jesus and you're like, man, why is this Christian next to me, right? Or haven't you in the past experienced God's miraculous power in your work and in your life and in your jobs and in your relationships? Or haven't you experienced the peace of God in immeasurable ways? I mean, shoot, haven't you, right, like maybe even had like a near-death experience and yet some way you were saved from that? Like, do you think that was you, <laughs> Right? Haven't you experienced the, the shalom, the, the peace of God, the presence of God? Has there been healing in you or around you? Has there been things that are restored? Like, like is that really your power? Right? Or is that the power of God interacting around us? But as the power of God interacts around us, how many of us then return to the feet of Jesus and worship him? See, most of us, we actually just go on about our lives in a lot of ways. Right? Like, you ain't walking around with leprosy in here, are you? Right? And if you were, we want you in, but you can stand by the back, right? Because brother ain't trying to get leprosy, okay? Right? Like, no, like we are able-bodied people. Well, isn't that itself an a, a, a evidence of God's grace in your life? The Psalms say that every single breath that we breathe is a gift of God, and God sustains every single breath. And so if you are being sustained today alive, this is the presence of God working in your life. But how often do we worship God? Do we thank God for this? We usually just run on about our lives. In fact, we hate our ailments, but it's ironic because our ailments are often the very things that point us to Jesus. And so maybe they're actually a blessing in and of themselves. And so these ailments we want to be healed of, man, they draw us into the presence of Christ. Hasn't Jesus interacted with you within these, right? So often, though, we fail to come to him and worship. 
I know even in my own life, I, uh, when I was 12, uh, I actually had cancer and uh, had cancer uh, in the bone and I couldn't uh, walk for three months, was in a wheelchair and uh, was this really, really rare form uh, condition where once they found out what it was after literally two and a half months of searching, they realized that people with this condition usually live for about a year, right? I'm not 13 right now, okay? I lived a long time after that. And so what happened was, is we were in the, uh, the, the, the doctor's office, and the doctor's showing us the x-ray and showing where the cancer is. And my granny, the only believer in our whole family, came over and said, hey, I want you to know I was praying for you, and I want you to know that uh, God said he's going to heal you, and that you're actually going to be a pastor one day. And I was like, oh, that's cool, whatever, okay? And went on about my life, right? Why? Because I didn't believe in God, nor did I see God interacting around me. Now, I'm telling you, I could not walk for three months, right? The next morning, I walk and start going to the bathroom, and I'm standing there going to the bathroom. I know, too much detail. But I'm there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm standing, right? And I didn't go, praise God. I went, well, man, I've missed so much workouts, right? Like, I didn't make the basketball team this year. I need to get back in the gym. And that was my first thought was not to return to the feet of the one who healed me. I didn't even recognize it was the Lord in the first place. I didn't even see that his presence was interacting in my life. I completely missed him. And we so often can be like the one leper who just completely misses it. We, we miss the big picture of what God is doing because we're so focused on the day-to-day -day and, and what's next. I mean, come on now, friends, right? Like, like this is what God was doing in my life, but I totally missed it. In fact, you don't have to turn here. It'll be on the screen. But in Psalm chapter 50, verse 23, it says this. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. We say, thank you, God, thanksgiving, an offer of thanksgiving. And we order our way rightly, which is back at the feet of Jesus. And as we go back to the feet of Jesus, this is where we find salvation, right? Like, man, isn't, hasn't God done something in your life that deserves you to go back to the feet of Jesus? I would say yes. In fact, he does it daily. But how often do we go back to the feet of Jesus? So often we go on about our lives over and over and over again. Now, here's the ironic thing about this whole story is that in Luke 17, the, the lepers that were cleansed, they were actually doing the very thing that Jesus told them to do in the first place, right? Like, like Jesus told them to go show themselves to the priest, and we can assume, as the text says, that they actually went and they went and showed themselves to the priest. And so then why is it that Jesus clearly has some, some beef with this, some issue with this? Why is it that he elevates the one who came back and he kind of, this is the nine that went on? Well, it's because, quite frankly, they were missing the bigger picture. They were missing the bigger picture, as we so often do. In running off to find cleansing, they missed that something massive was happening around them. In running and showing themselves to the priest, they missed that the high priest, the true priest, was standing right before them and that they could receive an even deeper healing. Totally missed it, right? Now, why is Jesus down on them? Well, because if these men are Jews, as they most likely are, then they should have noticed that something dramatic was happening here, that something massive was happening before them. See, what happened is, is they're probably going off to fulfill the law of Leviticus, which talks about leprosy, as we talked about a minute ago. In chapters 13 and 14 in Leviticus, there are all these laws about what to do if you are cleansed of leprosy. In fact, which do you think are the two longest chapters in the whole book of Leviticus? Cross, 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 cross. 
<laughs> 13 and 14, right? Yes, yeah, so talk, right? 13 and 14, okay? And so Leviticus is already really hard to read, right? Like if you've ever done the Bible in a year, you're like, man, Genesis, praise God. <laughs> and then Exodus, you're there, right? And then you get to Leviticus and it's like, oh my gosh, law, 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 awkward law, confusing law, sacrifice law, sacrifice, don't boil a goat in his mother's milk, right? And then all of a sudden you get to Leviticus and there's all these laws about leprosy and, and what would happen and, and how to, how to operate if you're cleansed of leprosy and on and on and on and on. And you would think that if they're the two longest chapters in the book of Leviticus is dedicated to what to do when you are healed of leprosy, you would think that leprosy and the healing of that would be a regular occurrence in the scriptures, but it's not. In fact, there are only three times in all the scriptures that anyone is healed of leprosy in this story and the story we talked about in Luke 7 where Jesus touches the leper and then there's one story in the Old Testament, and it's of uh, the, the general Naaman who comes to the prophet Elisha, and he too is healed of leprosy. Now, the ironic thing about that story, <clears throat> that story which is found in 1 Kings 14, is that uh, this was a, a foreign uh, uh, general, just like this Samaritan was a foreigner to the people of God. And what's really ironic is that Elisha is actually probably the, the best Christ figure in out the whole New Test or Old Testament. What I mean by that is he's the one that kind of models, that, that shows what Christ will be like. In fact, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you know that John the Baptist was Elijah, the, the spirit of Elijah. And if he's the spirit of Elijah, then the one that came after Elijah was Elisha or Jesus. And so what happens is, is the only time that it happens in all the scriptures outside of Jesus was in the man that was showing us what it would look like when the Messiah finally came on the scene. In fact, if you uh, are walking along and you follow, there's a chart here. And as you can see, man, here's Naaman, the story in the Old Testament with Elisha, and here are these lepers. And in fact, it's pretty much the exact same story. They're both lepers, right? They both hear of these miracles that are happening. They both go to the prophet for healing. They're both sent away to showcase their obedience. You know, go and then you'll be healed once you go. They are both healed after they're sent out. They're both foreigners. They both come, uh, come back and worship. <clears throat> Man, excuse me. Uh, they both come back and worship God. And so you see this, right? Man, <clears throat> there we go. Um, this is pointing us to God, okay? And that these men, okay, who were likely Jews should have realized that something massive was happening around them. In fact, if you go back to Luke chapter 7, there's a moment when John the Baptist, the Elijah spirit, right, the one before Elisha, Jesus, when he actually begins to question, he begins to doubt who Jesus is. And if you go there, chapter 7, verse 20, look at what he says. And when the men had come for him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Then go to verse 22. And he answered them, Jesus said, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. And so listen, if lepers are cleansed, what Jesus is telling John the Baptist there is, this just doesn't happen, right? In fact, this has never happened outside this one story. You can know that I am the promised one, the Messiah, the one that is to come because lepers are being cleansed. And these other nine, the Jews that were healed, out of all the people there that were healed, they were the ones that should have got it the most. They should have known the scriptures. They should have realized something massive is happening around them, that there is healing. Lepers are being cleansed. Not just one of them, 10 of them at once, right? And they immediately should have recognized, 
I think that God may be up to something, right? And yet, the only person who gets it and who comes back and worships Jesus is the foreign Samaritan leper. The people who shouldn't have got it at all actually got it. And sometimes, friends, we can be like the nine who completely miss the bigger picture of God, and we miss that God is doing something in our midst, and we just go on about our day-to-day lives and check off the box on the things that we are supposed to do, and we miss God in the process. I know for me, when I was church planning, this text rang out the most clearly to me, because literally, in church planning, you have this uh, thing to do after thing to do after thing to do. So it was like, book to read, book to read, check, 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 right? People to talk to, people to talk to, check, 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 plan to write, plan to write, check, 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 recruit, do all these things. And what began to happen was I found myself beginning to work for God rather than be with God. And as you begin to do that, then you are tempted to not actually worship God, but you just go in obligation and duty, checking off the box and all the things that you're supposed to do and totally missing God in the process. You tracking with that? Right, like, like this is what God would want us not to do to avoid is to be doing all these things for him. We're fulfilling the law in some ways, doing what we're supposed to do, but we totally miss him in the process. We do not worship him in the process. And so we can go and, and have our quiet time, right? Check, check, check. And we can go and, and, and have our, our moments of prayer or come to church, check, talk to somebody, check. Man, share my faith. Whoa, big check, right? And we could be doing all the things that God has called us to do and in the process totally miss the heart behind it, that Jesus is after our hearts. And that's what this story is highlighting for us. Jesus is after our souls. Jesus wants us to come back to him and to worship at his feet, to be a people that are thankful, that show gratitude for the things that God has done for us. And so this is what the difference is between this one leper. And so then are we like the one, right? Are we like the one leper who comes back to the feet of Jesus and worships him for who he is and for what he has done? Do we continually go back to him? I know that it's hard because it's so easy to start checking off the boxes in our Christian faith. And we do what we're supposed to do. We do what the Bible even commands us. Man, we do what God even commands us, like these nine lepers. But we totally miss the big picture behind it, that God is after our hearts, that he wants relationship. He wants intimacy with you, friends. He wants to invite you close. And we run off and we end up so far away from him. I know in my own life, once again, as a church planner, as this text sort of stood out to me in these big ways, one of the things that uh, I did just to try to help balance myself through the wisdom of another man who was discipling me, who encouraged me to do this, is that every Monday morning, I'll spend about an hour and a half with the Lord. And what it looks like is I spend about a half hour in the Word, just uh, reading and trying to hear his voice and see him. I spend about a half hour in repentance. And the reason I have to do that is because the most idolatrous time of the week for me is Monday morning. Because if I felt like church was good and, and good things were happening, I'm like, ha look at me, right? And I totally forget it was the Lord. If things are bad or if somebody said something kind of mean to me or they were like, that joke wasn't funny, bro, and it crushes me for some reason, right? Like all of a sudden I, I find this idolatry creeping up in my heart and so I have to spend time confessing to him saying, you are Lord, you are King, recenter my heart with you. And then I spend about a half hour in worship 
Why? Because, man, as I begin to think about all the good things that did happen, despite this broken and wicked man that God is moving, was moving, I begin to see him. It elevates him back to the right position in my heart. And so I get to worship him for who he is and thank him for what he has done. And literally every single week I have to go back and do this. And every single week I have to remind my heart, this is not a chore. It is time for you to go back to the feet of Jesus before you start your week, before you start checking off all the boxes. I need Jesus. I need to be close to him. Friends, are we like the one leper? Will we do what it takes to get back close, intimate with Jesus? Because we can run off, right, and have our quiet time and and check off the box and and do these right things. We can go to community group. We can come to church. But, but man, are we doing it with the right heart? Because, see, here's the trick. The law was a, a great law, but it was meant to show us something greater, Jesus. And all these things that God has laid out for us, sharing our faith or making disciples or, or being in community with one another or being at church, like, man, literally, I'm being serious. I cried at both times. Like, I was not expecting that. It wasn't because I was preaching. It's because God was trying to recenter my heart, right? Like, these are really, really good things. But if we just start doing them to check off the box, we miss it. And Jesus wants us to have him because this is where true hope lies. This is where true faith lies. This is where true healing lies. I mean, you could be the sickest person in here, and if you're at the feet of Jesus every week, you're more healthy than all of us combined. This is what God wants for us, is this intimacy, this, this health, right? Not us checking off the boxes. And so we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to go and see Jesus as the, the greater reward. And listen, here's the one thing that this guy got that the other guys didn't, though they should have, though they were in church and, and had the Bible, and they should have seen it, but they didn't. Here's what this guy got. It's that Jesus' blood made not just his skin clean, but it made his soul clean, right? He was cleansed of a greater leprosy, the leprosy of the heart. See, none of us deserve to come into the presence of God. The scriptures make that really, really clear that we have this problem, and it's called sin. And sin is like leprosy, and sin separates us from God, and that as we wrestle with this, we are unable to come close to God. However, right? Jesus all of a sudden becomes the man that can reunite us back to God. He becomes the man that can cleanse the leprosy of the soul. He can bring us back into intimacy with God. In fact, if you go to Leviticus chapter 14, I want to look at this real quick because this is really important. Leviticus 14, this is where when you're cleansed of leprosy, here's what you do. Start off in verse 3. You can read it on the screen. It'll be there. It says, then in the case of a leprous disease that is healed, and the leprous person, all right? And then it gives a bunch of things. Jump down to verse 12. It says, And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering, along with the log, hence, of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. Verse 14, the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is cleansed, and on the right thumb, and on the right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. What is all that about, you say? The man is covered head to toe in the blood of the lamb. And all of a sudden we realize that this is meant nothing more than to point us to the greater lamb with the greater blood that was spilled, that as Jesus dies on the cross, it says that the blood was spilled out and that as we believe in him, if we believe, then it covers us and it washes us and it cleanses us, not just of our physical leprosy, but even of our spiritual. And listen, maybe your physical won't be healed when you come to Jesus, but it will. 
One day we will be in heaven with no more tears and full healing and all the things that are wrong with us will be fully restored. But even now in the process, he begins that work of sanctification and he heals your soul. The far greater healing, what our heart longs for in the first place. See, here's what this text tells us, is that Jesus is both the lamb that cleanses us and he's actually the leper. Why do we say that? Because as Jesus is on the cross, right, the father turns his face from him unable to touch his son in a way as Jesus becomes sin for us. He takes on this sin and he then restores us to God. Jesus is like the leper that though he had intimate community with the Trinity throughout eternity past, that was broken. Why? Because you who deserve to be far off from God will now be brought in not just with God, but with each other. He restores us holistically. This is what the Samaritan got. And this is what Jesus longs for us to get, that we would see, man, if your heart is lacking gratitude or thankfulness, you need not you have the cross of Christ and that as you believe in Jesus as you see what he's done from you this should stir up your heart's affections to worship to be thankful to be so so much gratitude for the king who died in our place this is what the story highlights and so friends will we be like the one will we be like the one will we do what it takes to get back into the feet of God over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because see, we can go on and fulfill Leviticus 13 and 14 and totally miss it, friends. Jesus wants your hearts and he beckons you to come close. And if you feel guilty, like, I'm not close, remember, that's you, Don't, don't put that guilt on you. Jesus wants you to come close. Even today, you can offer yourself back at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I want you. I don't even know how to want you right, but I want you. I want you alone. And so, friends, if you know Jesus as king, I pray that you would continually fight to be back at his feet and receive the true healing that your soul needs. And if you don't know Jesus as king, I pray that you would today, man, maybe give your life to Jesus. He can heal what's wrong. He can heal the void that you fill. He can bring you into the presence of God and into the presence of each other. God is the true and greater priest who became a leper for us so that we who should have been cast out forever can be brought near. I pray that we would be the one and that we would never forget that truth. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your cleansing, for your healing.